Every one of us has hopes. Every one of us has things that we're looking for, we're, we're seeking, we're, we're trying to find. We're, we're, we're trying to, to, to find the rhythm in our lives. What is it? And how's it going? I remember right before uh, I came here as an intern, I came this August will mark eight years that my wife and I have been a part of this church, Lutheran Church of Hope, and it's hard to imagine that it's been, it's been eight years. The only way that I know to document the amount of time that's gone by when I look at old pictures is the fact that this spot on my head has gotten a lot bigger. And I'm realizing I'm eight years older, but eight years, eight years we've been here. It's hard to imagine. We feel so thankful and so blessed to be a part of of this place, we, we feel so great, so much gratitude for you. But it was eight years ago that we, we, we found ourselves here. And right before that, I had to finish up a part of my seminary. It's called CPE. And in order to graduate from seminary at the seminary that I went to, you had to do this process. And it was called a clinical pastoral experience. And basically, what they do is they place you into situations. A lot of people will do it at a hospital. And so you'll spend basically three months. Uh, if you're going to do a summer saturated session, it's like six months if you do it spread out a little bit more. But I did mine over the course of a summer. And I spent three months. And you could do, a lot of people will do it at, uh, at a hospital. And so each week you'll spend uh, on a different uh, floor of the hospital. So you may go from uh, the maternity ward. Then you may go to the emergency room. You may go to the oncology unit. All of these different areas. I did mine at a homeless shelter. People would do it at a women's shelter, all of these different places. And what they're trying to help you to understand and to learn is when I am confronted with crisis, with tragedy, with people who are in the need of care, not only how do I help to care for them, but what happens to me in those moments? When I'm trying to help somebody or if I experience something or I hear something, what's my response? What you usually will realize, and think about your own situation, when somebody shares something with you, Sometimes we'll often try to, to minimize it. We'll tell them, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. Or God will, God will see you through it. Or we magnify it. So they say, oh, this happened. And we're like, oh, my goodness, that happened. And that's not any help. Or we try to sidestep it. They tell us something and we kind of immediately say, oh, yeah, but how's the weather and things? How's everything else going for you? We don't address it. Or you try to match it. Oh, that happened to you. That was just like it happened to me. And you try, but none of those allow you to truly encounter the person that you're wanting to care for. So it was the second month that I was at Churches United for the Homeless, this homeless shelter in Moorhead, Minnesota, where I met a guy by the name of Tom Coleman. And Tom was at Churches United, and, and Tom's story was unique, and Tom's presence was unique. Tom was far different than anybody else that was a resident at Churches United that summer. And the reason he was different was not because of a way of stereotyping people, but most of the people who were residents at this particular homeless shelter, and it's pretty well across most of the homeless shelters that you'll come across, were there either due to addiction or extreme mental illness. And oftentimes both of those go hand in hand which is important for us to remember because sometimes we see people in those situations and we say, well, why don't they just help themselves? The reality is, is 
Sometimes they can't. Because there's a situation or problem that's at hand that they're not capable of being able to address. But Tom was different. And so Tom and I would start to have lunch together every single day, and he would come to the chapel service that we would have every single morning. And every morning during chapel, Tom would get emotional, but never had a chance to really understand what his story was. And finally I asked him one day, I said, hey, Tom, tell me, why are you here? What, what led to you finding your, play, your, your spot at, at Churches United? And he started to share with me what his story was. He had, was on his second deployment in Afghanistan. He had been fighting for our country. And he had gotten word from his wife, who was living in the United States, where they had been living in California. And he would heard from his wife that she was going to leave him. And so he was... Well, he was shocked. He was desperate. He didn't want that to happen. So he went to the leader of his company and he said, I, I need to go on leave. And they granted him an emergency leave. But she had met somebody who lived in Hawley, Minnesota, which is just 15 miles out of uh, the Fargo-Moorhead area. So he flies from Afghanistan all the way to Moorhead, Minnesota, to a place that he'd never been to before. And he goes and he tries to find his wife and try to fight for his marriage. And he finds her, and he gets into a conversation with her, and the conversation turns into an argument, and Tom will admit that Tom made a really poor decision. She wanted to get out of the conversation, so she tried to get around him, and he grabbed her, and he moved her, and he said, you're not leaving. And when he did that, and he knows that that was absolutely 100% every single time the wrong thing to do. Tom will admit this. But the minute that he did that... She called the police, and deservedly so, they arrested him, charged him with the domestic abuse, and because of that, he was dishonorably discharged from the military. He didn't have any parents that were alive, and he didn't have any siblings. And because of the fact that he was dishonorably discharged, he had no way to make it home. So he's homeless. And Tom had no place to go. And Tom said, I've been sitting here every single day wondering if there's ever going to be a way out of where I found myself. And I'm just waiting for hope. We can relate to that experience, can't we? Not all the details, but waiting for hope to show up. Waiting for our life to show up. It's what we're going to be talking about this summer. We're going through a series this summer that's going to run most of the summer called the Summer of Acts, where we're going to literally walk through the, the book of Acts in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's basically the biography, the story of Jesus while he was here on earth and, and his death and, and his resurrection. And one of the writers of the Gospel is Luke. And Luke, uh, the Gospel is Luke volume 1. Well, the book of Acts is Luke volume 2. It's the continuation of the story from Luke's perspective. It takes place from the resurrection of Jesus... And the story of the early church. And it's called the book of Acts. It's 
also referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. But more accurately, we could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's about a group of people who are waiting, who at the very beginning of the book of Acts, and we talked about this last weekend. Pastor Andy was here last Sunday night, and he, he talked about how Jesus had appeared to those uh, uh, disciples. And he'd said, you need to go and you need to wait for me. You need to wait for me and I will come and I will meet you where you are. And I will give a gift to you. And this gift is going to empower you and it's going to awaken you to a reality that you could never imagine or you could never dream of. And it's going to call you and give you the ability to do things that are far beyond what you could do on your own. And so the disciples, they go and they wait. And they wait for 50 days. And you have to imagine. I mean, as, as I read that story and as I read about the, I mean, we, we, we have a way of, of making that time between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 seem like such a small part a small portion of time that, that, that must have happened like in a blink of an eye, but we know what it's like to wait. I know what it's like to have kids who you tell you're going on a trip way too early. And day after day after day after day, they ask you, are we going yet? It's not easy to wait. But in Acts chapter 2, we... See that God shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up. Sometimes we hear about the Holy Spirit and we have maybe a misunderstanding or kind of an apprehension to, 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 to who the Holy Spirit is. It kind of sounds almost creepy or, or it sounds like something that's maybe a little too religious for who we are. But my best definition, if I were to give you my definition of how you can understand who the Holy Spirit is, We've been talking about it all weekend here at Hope. We had our Holy Spirit retreat weekend for our Alpha course. We're Friday and yesterday we had over 100 people that were here learning about who the Holy Spirit is and what does the Holy Spirit do and how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, very accurately, the presence of God in the present tense. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit and we think that that's maybe... God decaffeinated or, 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 or God light, but it's the fullness of God in the fullest sense. That if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were getting to, into a car, nobody would have to yell shotgun. The Holy Spirit doesn't get put in the back seat. It's the fullness of God. It's the presence of God in the present tense. And the word for spirit that we'll hear throughout the New Testament is this word, it's ruach, or it's pneuma. It's the Old Testament word ruach that was there at the very beginning of creation. If you were to open up your Bible and you were to go to Genesis chapter 1 in the very beginning, if you go to Genesis 2, where God forms the first human being, but it was just a creation with no life, and God breathes his breath, his ruach, into Adam and Adam comes alive. It's the spirit that shows up that gives life. It's this life that Jesus had 
brought about while he was here on earth. We read through the Gospels. In John chapter 3, we hear the story about a, a man by the name of Nicodemus who was living a life that just didn't seem to have any traction at all. Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, we come to know him. He's somebody who knows everything about God. He knows everything about what it means to follow God. He, he knows all the rules, the regulations, and the things that he ought to do, and the things that he should do, and the things that he ought to say, and the things that he should say. But it doesn't seem to give him what he's looking for. So he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness one night, and he says, clearly you're a man of God. Because you have something. And how do I get what you have? Luke chapter 19, there's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus who from a worldly perspective has everything. He's wealthy. He's a tax collector. But he still has nothing. And he hears that there's this guy by the name of Jesus that's going to pass through his town, through Jericho. And even though Zacchaeus and the whole community knows how deplorable, how deplorable of a person he truly is, Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree to wait for Jesus to pass by because he knows that there's something about this man that can give him life. And both Nicodemus... And Zacchaeus, when they counter the person of Jesus, they experience God in a way that transformed them. It's the moment that everything changes. Ever had one of those moments? A moment where everything that you thought that it was going to be like, all of a sudden it's like everything gets flipped on its edge. I remember uh, my friend Colin and I, we used to go to my parents' lake cabin all the time when we were in college. We would go out there in the spring when it was still kind of cool out. We would go out there. We'd head out there on a Friday night. We'd stay out there Friday night, Saturday night. We'd come home on Sunday, and we'd go back to class on Monday. And one time we were out there, and one of the things that Colin and I loved to do is we loved to uh, make a fire in the fire pit way down by the water. And so we'd spend the evenings just sitting around the fire. We would share stories. We'd talk. We'd hang out. It was a blast. And one time we were going out to the cabin, and my mom said to me, she said, if you're looking for firewood, Make sure you grab the old chest of drawers in the upstairs bedroom and you can burn that for firewood. And we thought, well, this is going to be amazing because it's like a 50-year-old chest of drawers, so it's going to be really dry. And we all know that dry wood burns fast. So Colin and I get out there, and part of the fun is we take this chest of drawers and we get to demo it. So we're like throwing a sledgehammer around. It was a blast. It was so much fun for a college kid. It'd be so much fun for a 40-year-old too. But when we get it and we build like the bonfire of all bonfires. So we take all these planks of wood and we get it into a perfect cone. We leave a, a center gap open so that the air can flow like a chimney. We prop up the wood on the bottom so that the air can flow out. And we're like, man, we're, we're better than MacGyver right now. And so my parents didn't have any books of matches. They had the wooden matches. You remember those things? Those things were amazing. So Colin and I take the, the wooden match and we're like thinking to ourselves, this is going to be amazing. So we light the match and we hold it on the wood and nothing happened. So we go inside and we find all the newspaper we can find and we crumple up all the newspaper and we put it under the, 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 the cabinet, the chest of drawers and we, 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 we don't just take one match, we take five matches because now it goes from a flame to a torch. So we light the matches and we hold it on the wood 
And on the, on, the, on the paper, the paper goes up, but the wood doesn't catch fire. We thought to ourselves, what are we going to do? Can't get a fire going. Shows how city we really are. So we decide, we didn't decide, I decided. Said, hey, I bet you my parents have some gasoline left over from last summer. Because there's no way that that flame is going to ignite that fire, so we need something that's going to add fuel to it. So I went into the storage shed, I get the gas tank, and we think if a little is good, a lot is better, and we were safe. We made sure all the embers were out. So we take the gasoline and we start to dump it over the wood. And we want to make sure we get every bit out of there, so there's literally a puddle of gas that's at the bottom of the fire pit. We think this is going to be great. So I take the match and I get ready to light it and Colin says, hey, we got to be safe. And we say, oh, okay, you can't drop it in. We'll lose our eyebrows. And so we take the gas and we make a, 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 a trail. And this trail is about, I don't know, five yards away. A safe distance. I mean, it's just fire, right? It's just a little match. We saw what this match could, this match couldn't do anything. So I strike the match. A drop, I never knew fire could travel that fast. I mean, it was bananas. Like, it hit the ground, and it exploded. And remember the cone that we made? It shot like 10 feet in the air. And remember the, the, the airflow on the bottom? Burned all our leg hair off. And we have an explosion. And Colin and I look at each other, we're like, oh my goodness, that was off. We almost died. That was awesome. We couldn't believe it. We had one little flame that did nothing. But we gave it some fuel. And the fire was roaring. It's what Zacchaeus was looking for. It's what Nicodemus was looking for. It's what you too is singing about. And it's what you and I are looking for as well. It's the question that pesters us all. Where do I find that which is going to bring me to life? Whether you believe it or not, whether you admit it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, God has placed a flame in your heart. Your heart's desire, whether you know it or not, is to be in relationship with him. But so often we just know about God, we understand God at best. But we never experience the power of his spirit. That's what today is all about. It's Pentecost. It's the birthday of the church. Fifty days those people had been waiting for for Jesus to show up, for the Spirit to show up. But you have to be thinking that when Jesus had told them just a short time before that, before he ascended into heaven, when he had told them, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to share this message throughout the ends of the earth, they had to have been thinking, but all we have is this little flame. What you're asking us to do, we couldn't possibly do on our own. Jesus says, but it doesn't have to be just you. Because I'm going to send my spirit, the presence of God, in the present tense. So it's on the day of Pentecost where all of those believers are gathered in one place and, and they're waiting and all of a sudden there's 
thunderous sound and the, the wind, the ruach, this, this breath literally explodes into the place and, and, and they come alive. It says like, it's like flames rest on each of their heads. It's imagery. It's imagery that's speaking of something that, that language could never possibly do justice to. The moment when things change in your life, people will say, well, what is it like? You say, I don't even have words. Luke is doing the best he can to give words to that which words could never express. It fills the entire house. The presence of God is thick in that place. And it goes on to say that everybody who was there was filled with the Holy Spirit. Began speaking in their own native languages, yet everybody was under, able to understand what was being said. There's a central story in the Old Testament how God delivers his people. It's called the Exodus. And it was on the Passover where, where God uses Moses to, to bring his people from slavery and he, he brings them to, to freedom. And, and how many days do you think it was between when the Passover happened and Moses went up on the mountain to get God, give, to receive God's gift, the law, to his people? How many days? Fifty. Pentecost is celebrating is God's gift for our freedom to give us life. So often we go through life with really no fire, don't we? It's not the life you're created to live really become a really good friend of mine. His, his name is Jeremy. He's actually here this evening. He's sitting right down in front with his in-laws. That's pretty awesome. My wife has become good friends with Jeremy's wife, Teresa, incredible couple. But this past week, Jeremy was able to, to share his story about what happened when he went through from the monotony of life to encountering the power of the Holy Spirit, where his life went from a flame that was flickering to a full-blown fire. It's the gift that's offered to each one of us. It's Jeremy's story, but see if you can see yourself in it. Take a look. Who are you? It's a good question. Child of God is my is my first response. Happily married uh, for 16 years and have two kids, an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. Life is good, you know. I have I have no complaints. I grew up uh, small Lutheran church, but it didn't really at the time mean that much. My my freshman year of college, um, on the same day, uh, my grandma died, and a good friend of mine I grew up with, who also went to Iowa State, uh, committed suicide, which made me kind of, I don't want to say disavow God, but really made me question things and really, is, is there a God, really? And if so, why would these things happen? 
and then met my wife, you know, four years after that. She was really into her faith, and, and God definitely used her to point me in the right direction. We went to Alpha and had a lot of questions. Uh, I remember standing up to get in line for communion. I mean, that's when God uh, became real to me. Uh, I was just was crying, but it wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy and uh, definitely the Spirit uh, working through me. It was just an overwhelming sense of peace and love and comfort and just that the first sense that, I've, that I had in my whole life that this is God and, and He is real and He sent His Spirit to show me that. This is my first kind of time even thinking about that, like God actually has a plan, He wants me to do something particular. At the time there was a, a spiritual gifts class, God revealed to me that He wanted me to, to evangelize, to share my faith, and to be in music. I picked up guitar and started playing here as well. The challenge that I have, and I think that probably we all have, is figuring out where God wants us to be and the path that He wants us to walk down. And thank God there's not been a ton of them, but all of the bad things, I can see where God has used all of those things for good, every single one of them. It's in those times you have to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say and again, follow that path. Admittedly, there are things I feel God saying, hey, do this, and I chicken out sometimes too, you know, I'm human. To know that I'm loved, no matter the stupid things that I say or the stupid things that I do, I try to show that love to my kids, um, knowing they're not perfect either, and I have to give them the same kind of grace and forgiveness that, that God gives me and everybody else. I want to model that behavior for Christ to point others to Him. God will instill in them the joy that only He can give. You know, you can be, you might be temporarily filled up with getting a new car or a new house or whatever it is, but it's, that stuff's temporary. God's love is forever. My life has just forever changed because of that. It's Jeremy's story, but it's your story too. That's what this day is all about. That's what this story is all about. The book of Acts is a story about what happens to people when God gets a hold of them. What happens to people when the Spirit fills up your life. What happens to, to the ordinariness. What happens to the hurt. What happens to the hang-ups. What happens to, to the dead ends, to the rollbacks. What happens to the places where you just are asking yourself, how, much, how long must I wait? How long must I wait? How do I find my life? How do I find my purpose? How do I find my stride? How do I find some sense of joy? God wants to give it to you. God's love is pursuing you every place that you go. You heard it from Jeremy. You heard it in his story. He went through incredible hurt in his life. And he went to a place where he came to a point where he, he even questioned, God, do I even want to be in relationship with you? It's so easy to say the only way that we can have our lives filled and encountered by this Holy Spirit, the presence of God in the present tense, is if I get my act together and only then can my life be transformed by God. Oh, you're going to have a fun summer. The people that you'll meet so we hear the power of God when he gets a hold of people like you and people like me. 
from those who would consider themselves the best to those who would consider themselves the worst. God uses them all. Nicodemus had come to Jesus. He said, what must I do? I'm doing all the right things. I'm following all the rules. I don't just know about God. I'm teaching people about God. I'm an expert in God. Jesus says you must be born again. Human flesh can only give birth to human life, but the Spirit will give you a spiritual birth, transform you in ways that you could never imagine. It's the mission of God in this world. You say, well, how do I get it? Great, it's wonderful. Can't argue with it. How do I get it? Ask, seek, knock. We have a God who is good, whose gifts are good. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, you know the verse ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find it, knock and the door will be opened. And Jesus goes on, he says, for everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who seeks, will find. For everyone, everyone who knocks, the door will be open to you. So imagine if you were a father and your son asked you for bread, would you give him a stone instead? Of course you wouldn't. Imagine your son asked you for fish, would you give him a scorpion? Of course you wouldn't. It says, though you are veiled in humanity, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven, who is perfect, give good gifts to those who ask of him? Ask, seek, find. Open your heart. You're here. It's a good place because it's God's house. It's the power of the Spirit that we encounter in the gift of communion where we encounter God's presence, God's Spirit, presence of God in the present tense, which Jesus was reminding his disciples because all of them were going to turn away. All of them were going to abandon. All of them, to use Jeremy's words, would disavow him. But Jesus wanted them to remember it wasn't about them, it was about him. It wasn't about their behavior, it was about his behavior.